0: Good morning, church. Yeah, got some people alive in the 10 o'clock service. Yeah. Well, as you can see, yeah, thank you. Thank you, Jesus. I'm alive this morning. Uh, I just want to tell you guys, Pastor Aaron and his family are on vacation right now, and they have a much-deserved vacation, may I say. And they actually just came off of being down at National Fine Arts, where I have to share, yeah, our youth students, um, his youngest, Mali did what's called a human video. It's a competition amongst everybody in the nation, and actually she got second place in the nation for her human video. That is, that is awesome. I know I'm not her father, but it's like a proud father moment for me. <laughs> well, if you guys want to take out your Bibles, I'm, I'm actually going to go all over the place a little bit, but uh, mostly Mark chapter 6 and Matthew chapter 6. And as you can see from the screen this morning, I want to talk to you guys a little bit about soul care. Now, this has been on my heart for a little while. The reason why I was stirred to, to talk about this was I was actually in a bookstore the other day. And as I was walking through the bookstore, I was asking them where the Christian section was. And they pointed at me and they said, well, there, there's, it's over beside the self-help section over there. And so I went over to the self-help section, and I noticed it was like self-help, 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 Christian, religion. <laughs> it was like all of a sudden I found And then I went to Barnes & Noble, and I find the same thing, that the, the self-help section is bigger than the Christian section for some of these things. And I realized that there's, there's a deep need for something, something people are trying to, to fill and uh, as, as I was doing that and I was thinking about that, my thought was, you know what? As I started picking up some of the Christian books, I started opening them up. And I don't know if you're like this, but I open up a book. And if you do you even open up a book. OK, yeah, just checking. Some people are like, forget that, you know, but you, I open up a book and I read the first chapter and then I decide, do I want it? No, nah, put it back, you know, so I'll read through the first chapter. And as I was opening up some of these books, I said, wow, you know, it sure feels like the self-help section has bled into the Christian section. And I just have to share with you, kind of unburden my heart a little bit about what's going on uh, in the church. And when I think about even the word soul, and I've, I've taught on this before, so I won't go deep into this, but really our persons are made up of three different parts, a body, a soul, and a spirit. And there are many different scripture verses that you can go to through that. And so we often talk about our body, we often talk about our spirit, but we don't often talk about the soul. And here's the thing, though. I'm a millennial, I think. Am I a millennial? Yeah, I think I'm a millennial, but there's that millennial self-help language that's out there that that we worry about, and and what we do as Christians sometimes is is we tend to go ah that's the devil, you know everything's the devil that that, that doesn't come out of scripture, and it's, uh, that's not necessarily the case. So sometimes like we uh, as you'd say throw the baby out with the bathwater, and I don't know whoever came up with that term first, first time like oh whoops, you know. Like, but, but that's what we do sometimes in the church, is we tend to like worry if something sounds like it's not Christian, and then we get scared of it. And I just have to share, Matthew chapter 16, verse 26, and this is really kind of like the, the hinge pin verse for us this morning. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? Now, now the word soul there, like I said, is not spirit, and it's not body. It's actually suke or, or actually written out like psyche. So it's really our mind, our will, and our emotions, our soul. Jesus is talking here. He's saying, what good is it for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? I like the message translation of this. We're, really, the message is a paraphrase translation. But here's what Eugene Peterson said about this verse. Anyone who intends to come to me has to let me lead. You are not in the driver's seat. Somebody needs to hear that. (laughs) You are not in the driver's seat. I am. Don't run from suffering. Embrace it. Follow me and I'll show you how. Self-help is no help at all. Self-sacrifice is the way, my way, to finding yourself, your true self. What kind of deal is it to get everything you want but lose yourself? What could you ever trade your soul for? You know, it's funny, I think about in the last decade, even two decades, um, just the idea that we seem to think we know it all, don't we? You know, because we've got science now, we've got information at our fingertips, and and uh, we seem to think like we've got it all figured out, like viruses, right? And, oh, I shouldn't go there, okay. But we seem to think because we have all this information, we suddenly are just changing our direction and our thoughts on what truth is. And it's so important for us to be grounded, first of all, in truth, but then to understand that we are losing more and more the ability to process on a deep level. I have to be honest, the church in America looks an awful like, a lot like the rest of America. It really does. I hate to, to say that, but that's what I see in our culture. And sometimes people will take a verse like Jesus said, you know, the greatest commandment is this. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And we go, see, I'm supposed to love myself first before I love other people. And I just have to be honest with you. I've seen a lot of blogs and a lot of posts and things like that that say that. That's a bad exegesis of Scripture. Let me tell you why. Jesus said, you must deny yourself, pick up your cross and follow me. Well, why would Jesus say one thing and then say the other? The Apostle Paul said in the last days it's going to be bad. Sorry about that, but it's going to be bad in the last days. Second Timothy, and he says people are going to be lovers of themselves. So when I'm preaching this to you, just just understand I'm not telling you like you got to go home, you got to love yourself, and then you can love your neighbor because that is not what I'm saying. But I do realize that we're we're at a hinge pin time in our history. Okay, in the 1440s was the printing press, the Gutenberg printing press, and, and then all of a sudden all these Bibles started coming out, and, and even the church at that time was scared. They were worried because all these people are now got the Bible for themselves, and, and then the Protestant Reformation, and all these things were happening. But let me tell you about 2007. I believe that when we look back at 2007, it's going to be a lot like us looking back at the printing press. Here's why. In 2007 is when the iPhone was released, In 2007 was when Facebook opened up to anybody with an email address. In 2007 is when Twitter became its own platform. In 2007 was the start of the cloud. There's a lot that happened around that time, and and it just so happens that around that time is when anxiety started shooting through the roof and depression and, and people so frustrated and upset and, and this world has turned, it feels like, to chaos. But let me read another thing that Jesus said in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. And when I read this, let me ask you this question. Is this your life? This is, this is my question to you. Is this what your life looks like? Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. There's that word again. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Again, the message paraphrase says, are you tired? Can I get an amen? (laughs) Are you tired? Are you worn out? Here's what he says. Burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me, and you'll recover your life. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. Uh, my father-in-law, Earl, I was telling him and kind of unburdening my heart one time as we were outside talking. And by the way, it's his birthday today. He's not in this service, but yeah, it's Earl's birthday. Thank you for the two people that clap. <laughs> I'll let him know. But uh, he he said to me, "But don't you think you know with all the quarantine and all all the things that happened where people had to stay home and stuff like that? Don't you think that was probably good for us?" And as I thought about what he was saying that to me, I thought, "No, no, I pretty much see everybody going right back to normal. I pretty much see us all coming right back out, and it's crazier and busier than it was before. And we're moving into fall, and and you saw the announcement video. There's all kinds of things happening. And schools getting back in session, and all these things, and." It just feels like the rat race just started all over again. But I want to tell you, Dallas Willard said this statement. He he had a, a young guy, at that time he was young, John Ortberg, who called him. He was his mentor, and he said to him, how can I be the me that God wants me to be? Like, what's the best way for me to be the me that God wants me to be? And he said there was a long silence on the other side of the phone. And Dallas Willard said this statement. The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. And he said, yeah, okay. He wrote that down. He said, okay, well, what else? Like, what else should I do? He said, that's it. He said, hurry is the greatest enemy of spiritual life in our day. Now, I'm going to share with you three what I consider spiritual disciplines, or I like to call disciplines practices a little bit better, because discipline feels like if you didn't do it, then you're wrong, you're bad, and all those things practices is, is you, you try it out. I think about us going out on Wednesday night where we went out in the community and we were praying for different people, which you guys missed it on Wednesday. That was amazing. How about it? It was amazing on Wednesday. But, but what I did is as we were doing these things, I had other people pray so that they could practice praying over people. And so we, we give those opportunities so that you practice. It's not like oh, I tried, it didn't work, and you stop. That's why I like to call it practicing. And I want to talk to you about practicing the presence of God. Practicing the presence of God. Now, here's what I don't want you to hear. I'm not saying don't read your Bible. I am am not saying don't pray. I'm not saying don't preach. I'm not saying any of those kinds of things. What I'm saying is not instead of, I'm saying in addition to. And here's the first point, silence, silence. Kind of like that. Awkward silence. <laughs> As Pentecostals, we like noise, right? Now, you even see me on the guitar back there. I'm always like stomping my foot, you know? And we like noise. We like shouting, saying amen. Uh, some of you are Pentecostals. Amen, you know? Yeah. yeah. We, we, we like being loud in church. We like kind of like making a noise and everything like that. So this feels a little countercultural. But we have so much noise and distraction in our culture. So much. I love this. C.S. Lewis said this. Back in 1942, he wrote something called The Screwtape Letters. Has anybody ever read The the Screwtape Letters? Yeah. C.S. Lewis wrote this, and really it's kind of on, it's weird because it's on the demonic side. It's like demons talking to each other, trying to figure out how to trip up humans. And so what was really weird is I got it on audiobook first, and they were talking like demons back and forth, like, (laughs) like really weird. So I was like, yeah, I can't do that. So I started reading the book instead but uh, it was interesting because he, he does it from the point of view from hell, basically. It's like, how can we trip up humans? And I'm not even kidding. 1942, C.S. Lewis wrote these words. We will make the whole universe a noise in the end. We have already made great strides in this direction as regards to the earth. The melodies and silences of heaven will be shouted down in the end. But I admit, we are not yet loud enough or anything like it. Research is in progress. Wow, talk about prophetic. He didn't know about the iPhone. (laughs) He didn't know about any kind of phone. He's like, it's a totally different world right now. But man, the noise and the distraction that we have. Psalm 23, you guys may be able to quote this psalm. And again, I got to ask you, is this what your life looks like? He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. Another translation said still waters. He refreshes my soul. Do you go to Jesus and do you feel like your soul is refreshed? There's another study done over 20,000 Christians that were studied in this study. And uh, this guy, his name is Michael Zigarelli from the Charleston University School of Business. He found that this cycle is happening. He said, Christians are assimilating to a culture of busyness, hurry, and overload. Then God becomes more marginalized in our lives. Then we have a deteriorating relationship with God. Then Christians become more vulnerable to adopting secular assumptions. And then there's more conformity to a culture of busyness, hurry, and overload. He he's did a study. It's, and the sad part is, and I'll be honest with you, the sad part is he studied pastors as well. And 65% of pastors had this same exact thing. And yet we're supposed to be the ones shepherding you and, and, and leading you in a life like Jesus. In 1 Kings 19, you guys may remember this story. Elijah has this amazing moment just before this where he calls down fire from heaven. I mean, burns up the sacrifice, kills all the prophets of Baal. It's this amazing moment. And he's thinking, all right, all of Israel is about to turn back to the Lord. And, and then he finds out that Queen Jezebel wants to get him killed. So she sends people out and he hears about this and he runs away. And he runs out into the wilderness, and and he's depressed. Like, read that section of Scripture, 1 Kings 19. He's depressed. The first thing he does is he takes a nap. you can say amen to that, you know. And then he ate some food. And guess what? He took another nap. It was amazing. Sometimes you need rest, okay? And then he got up, and he walks 40, 40 days into the wilderness, and he's asking God to speak to him and he's just not hearing back from the Lord and finally he gets to this the mount mountain and he's up on this mountain and he's talking to God and he's complaining to God. He's going, "God, I'm the only one left. I'm I'm all there is and there's no more people that believe in you and everybody's turned their backs on you. And what good is it that I'm even alive?" And and, and God says, "I'm about to speak to you. Come on out into the mountain." And so he goes out there and then there's all kinds of noise, all kinds of stuff. And he's expecting God to speak to him the way God has always spoke to him in the fire, in the in the amazing miraculous moments. And and so he's waiting for God and there's a wind and it's wild. And then, then there's an earthquake. And then it says, after the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. He was not in any of those things. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. The better translation from the original Hebrew is a sound of sheer silence. God was in the silence. You know, I believe that, that uh, Elijah was trying to hear from God the way he always heard from God. It's like all this noise and God, come on, like bring down fire from heaven. And God spoke to him in the silence. And you know what he said? What are you doing here? What are you doing here? Go back the way you came. You're not the only one left. God spoke to him in the silence. You know, when we're depleted, we become overly reliant On outside voices outside of ourselves. We react to symptoms rather than seeking to understand and respond to underlying causes. We have a barrage of competing voices in our culture. I don't think I need to tell you that, but I was reading this story about a a gifted physician. His name was Charles, and he recognized the fact that whenever he saw patients, whenever he was overworked and, and really exhausted, he got in the habit of ordering a whole bunch of tests So he'd order all these different tests to try to figure out what's wrong with them. But when he rested, when he got his sleep, when he went on a quiet walk, he could rely more on his intuition and experience. When he could take the time to really listen and be present with them, he almost always got his diagnosis right without having to order all those tests. Again, we think that we're so much smarter now because we've got all these things. I, I don't know, many of you guys know this, but before this, I worked in physical therapy. And I remember vividly this, this one lady that would come in and, and she had sciatica. So she had like issues down her leg because of her back. And I see some head nods like, yeah, I got that too so with her, with her, what we did was extension exercises. So we were doing exercises like prone press-ups and things to, to help. She had a bulging disc basically in her back that we were helping to kind of alleviate the pressure on the nerve root. And so we were always doing extension exercises. And every time she left, we got the pain out of her leg. Her back felt better. She was so happy. And then when she'd come back, she'd be like, you guys hurt me. I don't know what you were doing. I'm like, I mean, what we're doing, and then we tried some other things, but we're like, no, like this is the direction. That's what we're supposed to be doing. And, and so it, it was really getting frustrating because every time she, she came back, she was blaming us. She's like, you guys hurt me. We're like, every time you leave, you're, you're feeling better. And then finally, it all clicked one day. I'm watching her do her exercise, and then she sits up like this on the end of the bed, and she starts going like this. I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I'm like, what are you, what are you doing? She goes, I'm doing an exercise. So we didn't show you that. She goes, No, Dr. Oz told me to do that. I said, Dr. Oz is not treating your back. We are. But can I be honest? We're doing that in the church too. We're listening to so many voices out there, and and I thank God for the many pastors and preachers and many people that hear from God out there, but some of us are are listening to, you know, John MacArthur or pick your favorite one, Stephen Furtick, and I'm not against any of these pastors, just so you know. I believe many of them preach truth, but I do believe Pastor Furtick doesn't know you. You need somebody who knows you. It's like her saying to me, Dr. Oz doesn't... (laughs) isn't treating your back. We are. I'm not saying that because I've got all the answers. I'm not saying that because Pastor Aaron has all the answers, but we're doing that with God instead. We're trying to look for all these competing voices outside of ourselves. And sometimes we haven't been silent long enough to hear what the Lord is saying. And it's so important for us to remember the fact that God is always speaking. He's always speaking. Sometimes we're just not listening. I, uh, I have my old friend, Fred, and he'd be okay with me calm him mold, for the record. But we go out to eat together all the time. And, and Fred was telling me about one time when he was back in his 40s, and, uh, and he heard this preacher talking about something like this, about being still. And he decided to to go check into a Catholic monastery. Now, he wasn't Catholic. He, he was an evangelical, and so he... He decided to do this, though, because he really felt he needed to get away from it all. And really, when he would check into this monastery, they'd make him put his keys, his phone, like everything goes away. And all you have is a bed, a Bible and a table. That's it. They feed you three, three meals a day. And that's that's it. And he said he'd go for a week at a time in the fall all the time. And uh, he remembers walking and one time he would go to mass every single morning. That's like the Catholic service every single morning and he would leave and he'd walk along this path and he noticed while he was walking along the path, there was this stream that's just bubbling and like crazy over rocks and and, uh, all these rapids. And then he got down to a lake and when he was down at the lake, he remembers looking across the lake. It was a picture kind of like this and uh, but there was like all the fall foliage of the trees. And he remembers seeing how still the water was. And he said the water was so still that it was a perfect, clear image of what was above. And he had the thought, he thought, that's what our souls are supposed to look like. Our souls are at rest, and we see the image of God in our lives. Can I tell you, Jesus was never in a hurry. Jesus was never in a hurry. I think we think that because... uh, because Jesus came back then. Like, that's a different culture, Chris. But the, the Bible says distinctly that, that God chose the specific time for, for Jesus to show up on this earth. He could have chose today. He could have chose right now. He didn't. He chose 2,000 years ago in that culture, in that situation. And what we do is we just chalk it up. Ah, Jesus doesn't understand. He never had an iPhone. <laughs> you know, but, but Jesus is Jesus. He had a lifestyle. He had a way about him that we're supposed to be emulating. And some of us, we make excuses, you know. We take the personality tests and, well, Chris, silence. Are you kidding me? I'm an, I'm an extrovert. I need to talk to people. Uh, well, yeah, Alicia, there's one right there. <laughs> but but we, all, we all make excuses then. Well, that's not me. I, I'll be honest, five love languages, I'm the words of affirmation guy. And so uh, you ask my wife, she'll come home and I'll be like, I'll be like, hey, did you notice I did the dishes and the laundry? And she's like, Okay, you know, like, do you want me to throw you a treat? Good job, you know, like, I do that all the time. But I'm a words of affirmation person. But what I can do is I can use that as, as an excuse not to do something. Listen, I don't like reading, so I don't, I don't need to read the Bible. That's not true. It's the same thing with these spiritual practices. Actually, there was an early desert father named Abbot Agathon. For three years, he carried a stone in his mouth until he learned to be silent. Some of y'all, I could put a stone somewhere. (laughs) But for real, are are you really, are you really, let me ask you, are you really transforming into the image of Jesus? We've bought into this lie that we're not successful unless we're moving. Activity is not always accomplishment. First Thessalonians, the Apostle Paul's writing to this church. And listen to this. When we think about the Apostle Paul, this incredible missionary, going out, starting churches, you know, getting whipped and left for dead and shipwrecks and all these amazing things. This is what he writes to the church in Thessalonica. And make it your ambition, like you're supposed to have, make this your ambition to lead a quiet life. You should mind your own business. Turn to your neighbor and say, mind your own business. Doesn't that feel good? It's scriptural. (laughs) Mind your own business and work with your hands just as we told you so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders and so that you will not be dependent on anybody. You thought it was like the Real Housewives of L.A. or Real Housewives of New York, right? Real Housewives of Thessalonica, that's really what was happening, though. Like, they were these gossip girls, right? We're getting together and, and hanging out and talking about each other. And the Apostle Paul said, Be quiet. Mind your own business. Do what God's calling you to do. So many of us just want to say something. Silence. Now, the second thing, just as fun as the first one, solitude. He was like, Oh, when you are alone with God and with your soul. Luke chapter 5 verse 16 says this, but Jesus often, look at that, often, I'll say it again, Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Often. Got away by himself, him and the Father, and prayed. That's in there for a reason, okay? Jesus needed that kind of time, and if Jesus needed it, you do too. I'm not talking about this last year. Listen, quarantine's all I saw was our souls get more stirred up than ever before and frustrated and angry. The uh, There's a moment, and, and many of you can see this, is in Mark chapter 6, is there's a moment when the disciples are actually sent out by Jesus. As as the church, we often look at the book of Acts and, and when the Holy Spirit fell, and then there was this amazing moment where they went out and... Uh, you know, did all these amazing things, but actually there was a time during Jesus' ministry on earth that he sent them out two by two to go out and to to cast out devils, to heal the sick, to raise the dead. He actually sent them out to do this, and they got to do this while Jesus was still here on the earth. That's why, again, I like to call it practicing God's presence. He was teaching them how to do this, and he sent them out. Now, they came back to him in Mark chapter 6, verse 30. They came back to him, and could you imagine what this was like? I mean, this is crazy. I mean, Jesus just sent you out. You're like, dude, did you see that guy just got healed? That was amazing. Yeah. Did you see that demon? Like, I went like this, and the demon like got out of him, and, and we healed him. And, and this was just incredible. And, and they come back telling Jesus, like, Jesus, guess what we did? We were doing this, and we were doing that. We were doing this. And, and Jesus goes like this. He's like, good job, guys. I'm so proud of you. No, he didn't do that. No. The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. Then... Because so many people were coming and going, that they did not even have a chance to eat. He said, "Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place, and get some rest. Come away with me. Rest with me. Come rest." He didn't go like, "Oh, I'm so proud of you, boys," you know, no, and girls for the record. Amen. But uh, he said, "Come away with me." There was, there was a point where he said, we need, we need to get away together. And, you know, going back to some things Earl taught me, he said, you know, you're, you spend your time when your kids are growing up, teaching them to walk and talk. Then for the rest of their lives, you're teaching them to sit down and shut up. <laughs> you know? It, it, truth. I mean, can, can I be honest? Sometimes it's like that in, in church. Ooh, sorry. Because and I'm I'm just as guilty. I just remember when I first got saved, just like revving my engines full speed, and my wife can attest to this. I literally did everything that everything that was thrown at me. I would have been in the fall choir, and you don't want me in the fall choir, but I would have been in it anyway. You know, doing everything, I would have been involved with everything, and I was trying so hard. And and we do that early on, and that's important. We learn how to read your Bible, do devotions, pray. All these things are important, but. But after a while, I just have to go, you know, settle down, settle down. Because those things only come from an overflow. And sometimes we're busy spinning our wheels, spinning our engines, trying to do more for God. He's like, just come away with me or spend some time with me. Solitude is safety. Listen, solitude and isolation are different. Solitude is safety. Isolation is danger. Solitude is when you set aside time to nourish your soul. And then we ask, where's God? How could he let this happen? But you know what? God's right where he has always been. We're the ones who move away from him. The third and last thing is another fun one. You know, Pastor Aaron's gone. I give you guys all the silence and solitude and secret. Secret. Write that down. Secret. I think some of us need this word today. The you, when you are by yourselves, is the real you. I love you all, but I know how you can put on a face. I do it too. You know, I I was reminded of this uh, just last night. I was thinking about this while I was laying in bed. I remember about a year and a half ago, I was preaching on holiness, you know, preaching on holiness. And I stepped down off this platform, and my son, as a a four-and-a-half-year-old, comes running down smacks me on the backside and yells nice butt dad and runs off (laughs) thanks yeah thanks son like I just got done preaching holiness what are you doing you know but and sometimes I think we look at scripture with rose-colored glasses Jesus you know we're like disciples they were trying to keep the kids away from Jesus yeah but you forgot about the kid that was slapping Jesus on the backside you know Jesus, like when, when Jesus said, let the children come to me, if you've ever worked it, have you ever worked in kids ministry? It's like herding cats, <laughs> you know? But, but Jesus said, listen, I know like there's, there's trouble. You guys you got problems. You're all messed up. actually, I remember this. My, I have a great aunt that's uh, actually two great aunts that are nuns. And so the first time we went up, my sister got to see aunt Carolyn for the first time. We went up to Providence, Rhode Island and aunt carolyn was late we were there with our baggage waiting and then we see this nun in her full habit like come running running down through the the terminal and she gets to us like this She's she's like hurry up guys i'm double parked and it's hot as hell out there she goes running off like this my my sister's like looks up at my mom can she say that i'm like well it's in the bible you know You know, we can we can pretend we can put on the face all day long, but we're real. Okay, the secret you is the real you. Matthew chapter six, verse one says, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your father in heaven. Now, let me show you. He's about to talk about three different spiritual disciplines, spiritual practices, giving, praying and fasting. Next one. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. The next one with praying, verse 6. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your father who is unseen. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Matthew chapter 6, verse 17. When you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting but only to your father who is unseen and your father uh, yeah and your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you there's something and pastor Aaron alluded this to this the other week something in our culture right now called virtue signaling let me read you what the definition of that is the action or practice of publicly expressing opinions or sentiments intended to demonstrate one's good character Or the moral correctness of one's position on a particular issue. It's really talking a lot about our our posting on social media. When we're magnifying our good deeds and we're magnifying others' bad deeds. Eugene Peterson called this ecclesiastical pornography. Us needing to be seen. Telling everybody like it is. You know... I think about Jesus and all the amazing miracles. You know, all four Gospels, all four Gospels say that there were so many other things that Jesus did that aren't recorded. You used to think, why not? I mean, it'd be a lot easier for people to believe in Jesus if, if it was all recorded. At the end of the book of John, he actually says that there, there were so many miracles, so many things Jesus did, that there aren't enough books in the world that could contain it all. Like, well, I'd like to hear a couple more. <laughs> I mean, that'd be cool. John chapter 20, verse 30 says this, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these ones are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. I remember we were doing this outreach over here. We were giving readas to all of the teachers over here at Wrightsville Elementary. In fact, we had so much left over, we went up to the other elementary school, and I remember there was a moment that, and I hadn't met the superintendent yet, but he had come out, and so I got to meet him, and I was talking with him, but I remember I could feel, I could feel Val's presence. I love Val, but I could feel her taking pictures, which we asked her to do, by the way, taking pictures of these moments, and I just kind of felt awkward. I remember thinking like, oh, not, not, I don't want a picture of myself, like, doing this, and like, this isn't why I'm doing it, and And sometimes I struggle, you know, as the church. Why why do we do that? Like, why do we take pictures of these things and celebrate these things? Because we want to come back and we want to celebrate with you. We want you to know you were a part of that, that process. But it made me think, because that's not the end goal. Our mission statement is leading people from where they are to where God wants them to be. The end goal is that you would just do that. That you would just do that in secret when nobody else knows. The end goal is discipleship. There's so many things that happen in this church that nobody knows about. Nobody knows about. I think about Linda Barnhart, who pastor, was sharing about last, uh, last week, actually. We had her funeral, and at her funeral, I stood up, and I told everybody, I said, you know what? Linda is, to me, an unsung hero. People would do things, and, and, and I wouldn't even know, and, and all of a sudden, I said, well, how did Grace get to her doctor's appointment, Linda? Well, who took food over to them? Like they said somebody took food over to them, Linda. Linda never got up here. Linda never had a microphone in her hand. She was just the hands and feet of Jesus. She didn't need everybody to know. She didn't want everybody to know. And I can look around this room. There are so many unsung heroes. And that shows, to me, depth in your soul. I'm going to ask the worship team to come back out. How many text messages, phone calls people make, how many times people go and pray for somebody, how many moments you're at a big event for somebody and supporting them and loving on them. And I'll ask you this question. What is the percentage of what you do that's in public to what you do that's in private? What is the percentage of what you do that's in public to what you do that's in private. I'm talking about all the spiritual disciplines. I'm talking about giving. I'm talking about reading your Bible. Do you need to snap a photo and tell everybody you've been reading your Bible? Do you just do it? Is it just an overflow of your life? Everything that you do, everything that you say, everything that you are, and and I, I remember a moment where my wife called me the other week and, and she just told me that, you know, she was at Plaza Azteca. And there was this old couple that was sitting there and, and the old couple, the wife was feeding the husband because he had some kind of handicap. And, but they were having the sweetest time. They were celebrating, I think it was an anniversary. Was that what they were doing? Celebrating, she overheard this from the table, celebrating an anniversary. And uh, Britt called me and said, hey, I just feel in my heart that we should pay for her meal. And I said, yeah, go, go ahead. And she paid for their meal and said, don't, don't tell them. You know they don't need to know who, and the waiter went over and told them, and they both started to cry. They both were amazed that somebody had noticed. They were like, "Who was it?" And they didn't say. And my wife didn't need to be the one to see, but God sees those things. You'll get your reward, trust me. And and but how much of your life, how much of your spiritual walk are you trying to show everybody? I mean, how often are you in silence with the Lord? How much are you listening to everybody else's voice? I don't care. could be, you know, any other preacher, and myself even. Sometimes you listen to me way too much. I got the gift of gab. Honey, that wasn't an amen moment. But seriously, how how many times are you just alone with the Lord? I'm not talking about isolation. I'm not talking about isolating yourself from people, from the church. That's dangerous. You don't do that. But there are times where you need to be just you and the Lord. Some of you are afraid to get to that place. Some of you haven't been there in a long time. I'm going to ask if you would just stand with me as we close this service and put your purse down, put your papers down, put your glasses down, so you can't can't see. (laughs) I mean it. We're just going to take some time, and here's what we're going to do: we're going to worship. We're going to worship. You're going to be silent. Somebody told me after last service how hard that was. Like that's like that's impossible. I mean, I want to sing the song cuz that's what we're so used to doing. I'm going to ask you just to close your eyes and receive. We're going to sing the song. You just think about these lyrics and what they mean. Spend some time just right now in the presence of the Lord. I'm not going to try to muster up an emotional response. This is between you and the Lord. Just go ahead and close your eyes. Let's take some time.